Amen. Amen. I wish you were in the room, sister. They loved it. You could hear that, mm, you know, and that sort of thing going on. <clears throat> and it wasn't just because you got an amazing backdrop there. I mean, I don't know why the rest of you don't trot out the saguaro and just stand in front of it. You know, I <clears throat> need to up your game, frankly. Before I start the, the lesson, a reminder to our ladies here and the team. Now, I'm looking up at the cameras because not all of the team, team members attend every Sunday. We rotate out, so we always have room for visitors, and we'd love it. So please come from out of state, out of town, uh, out of nation, if you can get here through passport control. We'd like to have you. So you can see and be welcomed and loved in, in person. But for our team, uh, our ladies have a combined a place at the table. These are small groups that ladies form. They meet in, in homes. They go over prayer questions. They go over, it, it's, a, it's a wonderful time of fellowship, study, and prayer. And so we're combining all those, or they are, at the Meads home. I live there, but I will be isolated for everyone's protection. Um, because I probably would suck all the joy out of the room, but there it is. Um, that's, a, that's this Saturday uh, from 6 to 8 p.m. It's a salad supper. Each lady is asked to bring a salad to share. Uh, beverages, dessert, conversation cards will be provided. Please, and this is where we really need to know as of yesterday, but know soon, RSVP to Cami so that she can know how many tables and place settings to set up. Now, if you're thinking, oh no, I don't have, um, I don't have her address to the light, you can email info at OurSafeHarbor.com and we'll get it to her. How's that? We would, uh, our, especially our local groups, we would love for them to quickly RSVP. Now, second thing got to do here is that uh, this, is a, uh, this is a rerun. B but many of you will not have heard it. I think the last time I did this is about seven years ago. And it will have to be different because normally I move about the stage. This would kill me. Or I would destroy instruments and so someone else would kill me. Uh, but it is a, it's a lesson I gave a lot to teenagers back eight and all the way back to 15 years ago in different forms to help them understand the place of Christ in our life. And it had to be done in a way that wasn't preachy and which worked for me since I've never done the preacher thing, never went to school for it, obviously, yes. Uh, the course of amens, I can hear it from here. But there you are. Um, a little, we have a delay switch on our locals, but that's it. Um, this is a lesson I hope will help you bring some stories together. The wisdom of God can be found in so many ways if you know where to look for it. And one of them is in the actual shape of the cross. The cross was a torture implement. It was a horrific thing. It has been transformed by the gift of Christ into something that people wear or something that they put in their, uh, as a, an adornment on a wall or as a stand upon a table. It was transformed. But there's more to it than that. And to explain it, I want to talk about old, horrible, racist movies, because that's what one does. I can remember when I was a boy, when we'd be stateside, when, you're, when I was a boy in Britain, there was no television, period. Well, yeah, they claimed, but in the week, on Sunday, it was cricket. So, no. Uh, in America, in the afternoons, a lot of you won't remember this, but you didn't have a lot of ball games. You are lucky if you got to see your home team one time in a year or so on the game of the week. 
And so on Sunday afternoons was death. It was, it was, there was something, uh, many of you are going to have a hard time with bowling for dollars, celebrity bowling, a lot of bowling oriented stuff. And the movies were all black and white Tarzan and Hercules movies. The Tarzan ones. Again, highly racist in every way. But as a kid, I'm standing there watching this guy wrestle a stuffed lion, and I'm, I'm getting really excited about it. But in every Tarzan movie, there's a scene. And you also find it in every Indiana Jones movie, on that ilk. Our hero has seen something they should not have seen, touched something they should not have touched, been somewhere they should not have been, shall we say the natives are restless, and they are coming for our hero. So, cut to the scene, hero running through the jungle. Cute, uh, Creedence Clearwater Revival, ask your grandparents. And so they're running through the jungle, and you'll see arrows every so often going around. And then, just to keep that, to explain why this is so important, every so often, for reasons ununderstood, our hero will stop and listen and, then, and runs again. And eventually, they come to a, an abyss, a chasm, a crevasse, a cliff. They don't just come to it, they almost go over it. That's required. One foot will go, a little bit will break away. You need to understand that these are deep. So we will cut to the rock. It's quite a high one. Oh dear, what will our hero do? So, just in time, because movies are always about just in time. Uh, if the Calvary showed up at the first of the movie, we wouldn't have the rest of it, right? So, they look around and they find a bridge. But this is not an OSHA-approved bridge. This will not clear the ADA. This is a rope bridge. And it was obviously put together on Friday afternoon by people that wanted to go home. It is very... So, the hero will be looking and going, ah... They'll put a foot out, you know, kind of like this, a little bit. And you can always see, you know, oh, sh should they go, should they go? Going. So as they go across, they don't get all the way across. No, no, that's not how it works. Eventually, yes, we know they will, but they'll get to a certain point and something will break, right? And once again, and they'll look around and the, the natives are crowding Oh no, what shall we do? I can remember when the first Indiana Jones movie came out, my wife and I were still living in the west of Scotland, and it was going to show at the theater in Kilmarnock near us. So we went to, to see the movie. We're sitting in the movie, and right as the Indiana Jones one, again, he's about to fall, something's about... I, my arm was grabbed. My wife's on this side. It was, it was basically a man with a, a coat with a hat. I couldn't see much else. Just a wee man. And he, and, he, and he grabbed my arm. Well, you don't touch. It's a rule in Breton. But he touched me. He was obviously out of his mind with fear. And he leaned in. He goes, do you think he'll make it? <laughs> I leaned back in. And I said, we're five minutes in. And they named the movie after him. Play with the sticky floor. Don't you amuse oneself? You know, so anyway, we made it through this terrible gorge and the, and the rope bridge. Why would I talk about that? Because growing up, Dan, I also learned things and had ideas. And we were always told about this is where I normally go from side to side. Just not going to happen, people. It is not. Uh, so 
about the holiness, the goodness, the purity, the absolute righteousness of Almighty God. Fair enough. All, all the superlatives apply. But all the way over there is us. Long way away. Dirty, stinky, sweaty, sinning, awful people. And fair enough. Nailed me. Yes, that's me. But there's a way to get across. But it's a very, very treacherous way. It makes Pilgrim's Progress. Ask your 16 times great-grandparents. It makes Pilgrim Progress look easy by comparison. It's a treacherous way. You might think you're on the path, but you can get religion wrong, boom. You can get, you can get worship wrong, you can get the song wrong, you can pick up a guitar, maybe you're allowed to, maybe you're not, who knows, take a risk. All of this, and to get over there is, once you get there, you're not really in because he's so holy and you're so sinful. So what are we going to do with this? Well, it's not the end of the story. Let's go to another old, old story. Jacob, it'll all come together. Don't worry. Um, Jacob had left home at a trot because he had to. Jacob had a brother named Esau who was big, muscular, hairy, great at athletics, hunting, and man stuff. Jacob was not Esau. He was the other. He was, he was the kid that sat at home and went, um, you know, hello, you know, helped the mom in the kitchen. Mom loved him. He was not, um, not really helpful otherwise. So Jacob lied. He lied all the time. He was a con man. But then he conned the wrong guy at the wrong time. And his mom looked at him and said, run. And he ran. And he ran and he ran and he ran until he got so tired that he had to lay down. And his pillow was a, a stone, a rock. Now, that's, that's pretty tired. So he's laying there and he has a dream. And he sees, most of your Bibles will say, a ladder to heaven. And the angels are, are going up and reporting to God what they've seen. And then getting orders and they're coming down to do the things on earth. We have found in the last 30, 40 years that that word does not mean ladder. It means stairway. Which made me just very happy that... Led Zeppelin got the stairway to heaven phrase correct long before our theologians did. Which, 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 which should you make your question stuff? That's all I'm saying. So anyway, there's a stairway that's going up to heaven. Angels busy going there. But then God just leaves that. And we move on. And I'm thinking, we have a plot development to explain. You got to come back to this. And God does but not until John chapter 1, Nathaniel comes to visit. Nathaniel says I, he believes in Jesus. And Jesus says in John chapter 1, verse 51, You shall see heaven open and the angels of heaven ascending and descending on me. There is a bridge. There is a ladder. There is a stairway. But it is not us that works it. It is not a thing. It's a person that connects us. Yeah, there's, there's a huge gap between awful people like Jacob and Patrick and the righteousness of God. But Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And he is the bridge. He is the stairway. Now, to be of any use... Um, 
Those of you who have not been students of bridges, please pay attention. To be of any use, a bridge must have at least two ends. Now, this may seem obvious. Um, I've seen them with more than one. There's in little Zanesville, Ohio, tiny little Zanesville, Ohio, there's a bridge that wise. You can, halfway across, you can go, which way do I want to go? And it really doesn't matter because either way, you're still in Zanesville, but that, it does that. It's just it's an amazing, wonderful thing. But I've been to places, uh, I've seen like in LA, there are places that started to build and an on-ramp, off-ramp and stopped. I'm thinking somebody voted wrong. And whoever was in Sacramento said, you're not getting the rest of it. You, you, what you have is a ski jump there, a ski jump to doom. You don't have, you don't have a bridge. So Christ has closed the gap. He is deity, but he's also humanity. He is anchored in eternity, but he's also anchored in time. He is a spirit, but he shared our flesh. With one foot planted there and one foot planted here, he is our bridge. He is our stairway to heaven. He is our path there. Not our perfection, but his. I was terrified because when I was a boy, they would constantly say, any fair-minded, honest person reading the scripture would come up with what we did. And I would see a lot of nice people that evidently weren't fair-minded or nice because they read it and came up with something else. And in my mind, this whole bridge thing became kind of like a heavenly game of Red Rover, Red Rover, seeing Patrick right over. You know, I got to try to get in and the angels are going, oh no, hang on, link arms. Because I knew that nobody like me belonged over there. What nobody told me was that getting there wasn't up to me. It wasn't up to my teachers. It wasn't up to my perfection and worship perfection and theology perfection and anything. It is up to him, his perfection, not ours. There's a passage in 1 Timothy 2.5 that says, There is one mediator between God and man, even the man, Jesus Christ. Now that word mediator is only found in that one place in the New Testament. And it's very rarely found in the Old Testament. And I know what some of you are thinking right now. Wait, New Testament's in Greek, Old Testament's in Hebrew. So no, no. The versions of the Bible that we use and that Paul quoted from were Septuagint. It was written in Greek. They had translated that into Greek. So we know that they used the word the same way as a, you know, again, Greek and Greek. We, um, if you don't know that, Christians generally use the Septuagint sourced uh, manuscripts, while Jewish uh, scholars opted for the Masoretic. And if you don't know anything about this, you've never been paying attention on Monday mornings, you need to go catch up. Because we've been talking about that and we're about a month ahead, so you know, I know where it's going. That word, mediator between God and man, that seems like that would be very important. But we don't get any other passages to explain it using that word, unless we go to the Old Testament. So, Job. Oh, the story of Job. And anything that could go wrong went wrong. Everything that could go wrong. A man suffered more terrible losses than any human being should ever be required to. I've seen people with a life like that and then get hit again. And I've gone to God and said, 
how much can one person have to face? There's got to be an end to this. And like Al, I have wrestled with God um, in the middle of the night, but I'm an equal opportunity person because I'll wrestle with him during the day too. And I know he's right, but I need to be wrestled with so I can figure out how and why. It's, it's rather like we had the grandsons in and they, they want to play basketball. And so we have a hoop and they're out there playing. They want us involved. Now, this may shock you. It, it's not one of my skills <laughs> at all. And Cammy, with her, her knees being difficult, it's not one of hers either. But the six-year-old was insistent. You're on my team, we're doing it this way, or I'm, I'm versus you. And he would just try and when he'd throw it up. Well, Cammy's a lot taller than him. She'd just bat it away. And so there, he spent the rest of the, after, uh, of the weekend going, she is awesome at basketball. <laughs> Well, you've got to go up against somebody that can swat stuff away before you can learn how to get around that. Animals wrestle with their, their mom or their dad. They learn how. We can wrestle with God. But Job, oh my goodness. What, what, what do we make with this? Well, the going theory was that Job was a terrible sinner. And that's why, and that's why, you know, karma you know, that's, that's a big deal with people that like to use it. It's a horrible, horrible theology. But they'll say, you know, it's just the universe is getting back at him because he was a bad person. Job knows he wasn't a bad person. So he calls for a mediator. But that's not the word he used. Well, it's the same word from 1 Timothy 2.5, mind, yes. But they used it in a different way. If we translated it today, we would translate it days man. And we need to explain what that means. Job needed somebody to arbitrate between him and God because the distance was too vast and he wasn't getting any answers and he was in peril. He needed somebody to give him justice. He wasn't asking for mercy, by the way. Job thought he'd, he'd done a pretty good job. He was asking for justice and for God to explain himself. So, what's a dazed man do? Well, we know what he does. By the way, that's in Job 19, verses 25 through 27, calling for man to stand between him and God. Well, a dazed man, we now know what that's all about because um, we have the records of Babylon. We have the records of Mesopotamia. We have them all. When I say we, I mean we because the British took them. <laughs> And they're in the London Museum. And it's kind of like finders keepers. Well, you know, I, I, I agree that's unfair and the like, but there it is. And, and they're not going to let me change the policy. But they have them there. Do you know what a day's man was? They were called that because you only had a day to do this. You couldn't go for a trial. We have, you know, all right, you're arrested. Your trial's in two years. And then you get there, and there are delays and delays and delays. And then finally it starts. It's going to take another six weeks. To run they couldn't do this. And I want you to think about the why. Think about your grandparents. Because that's about the generation that started. Because, you know, for example, teenagers, adolescents, the concept of adolescence did not exist until after World War II. You went from childhood to adult. But after World War II, people had a little bit more peace, a little bit more money, a little bit more room. And that period of not adult, not kid got in, right? Before then, 
You worked all day just to have enough food to live the next day, to work all day, to have enough food to move the next day. There wasn't time for a long trial. Back in the American West, if I am, um, I'm led to believe, the traveling judges would just kind of crank it out as they went through. Because you did not have time for this. Back in Job's day, that was certainly true. So you had to find a man that would arbitrate for that day and settle it that day. But you couldn't just pick somebody. You didn't have a local judge. Because that's not the way it worked. We didn't have anybody. There wasn't enough money in the system to provide a salary for somebody whose only job was judging. You know, you, you just you had to pick somebody. So let's say, for example, you've seen Dutch on camera several times. You know Dutch and I are dear friends, so I'm picking on Dutch because I know I can. Let's say the Dutch were to say, Patrick, I need my house painted. And I said, I can do that. That would have been a lie. Just work with the story. Stop picking holes in it. So I say, I can do that. And we agree on a price. And I believe that the price is, is $5,000. And so I'm done with the house. And I say, there it is. And he wants to pay me $2,000. And I'm going, no, we said five. He goes, no, we said two. How are you going to prove this? Well, today you got written contracts. You got not back then. So you had to find a man. We would have to look about and find somebody that Dutch respected and I respected. But that wasn't, you know, all right, so we're going we're gonna to go over here to Ray, my brother Ray. And we both respect Ray. But that's not enough either. Ray has to agree to do this. It's at a cost. He has to lose a day's work to stand in there. But it's even greater. Because he would have to stand between the two of us and get this sorted. So it was positioned between the two contestants the day's man would stretch out his hands and put a shoulder on both, a hand on each shoulder. Does this look familiar to anybody in the room? The day's man would stand like this until it was sorted. Well, what will happen if at the end of the day, I refuse to budge and Dutch refuses to budge? By agreeing to be the day's man, Ray would be agreeing to make up the difference. Being a day's man came with a cost. And if you're wondering, let me just go ahead and tell you that if it was a capital offense, the day's man would lose their life. I do not know of a record of that occurring, but that's in the statutes. And who did Job call for? I need a day's man to stand between me and God. A redeemer's a redeemer is how it's usually translated to us. A redeemer doesn't go for revenge. Remember Boaz and Ruth? He was called her kinsman redeemer. The one that would step in. And this woman who's a foreigner who has no right to be there will now be blessed and be given every right and now will be in the lineage of Jesus. Because somebody stepped up and took the risk. And if you don't know what the risk would have been, you don't really know ancient Israel. There would have been people that never talked or did business with Boaz again because he married a foreign woman. He took it. Glad he did. A real man, a real woman would take the risk. And he was her redeemer. Think about what Job was calling for. He asked not that the earth cover his blood, but that, like Abel, his blood would cry out to God. Job asked 
in that chapter 19, for that redeemer then to speak at the end, which is a judicial term at the time, meaning the last one to speak at the trial. Those of you that are lawyers know that sometime during your training, you were taught that the last heard first remembered. So that's why lawyers will interrupt to get something in. And as they get closer, it's why we let the defense speak last to make it even more fair. Last heard, first remembered. Well, once Job called for that, there was a guy named Eliphaz there, Eliphaz, whatever he was. He's dead and very hard to contact for pronunciation keys. He said to Job, there is nobody who will stand between you and God. He said, there's no such redeemer. He said, but if you could find an angel that would do that, maybe one in a thousand, he says, all they would do is then turn to you and tell you what a horrible person you are. There is no hope in heaven. You're a sinner. You're over there. And then Jesus came to show us that life as was wrong. God himself, through Jesus, will speak for us at the end. You don't have to say anything on the day of judgment. Have you ever noticed that? There's not a lot of information about the day of judgment, fair enough. But nowhere in there does God say, all right. Or St. Peter in some theologies. List your good stuff and what is your bad stuff. Let's see if you make the grade. No. God looks over Jesus and says, do you know them? It's Jesus. And he says, I'll say yes. You confess me on earth, I'll confess you in heaven. That's a good deal, if you don't know that. That's an excellent bridge. That's not a rope bridge. That's a pretty great bridge. So in Hebrews, this message comes through. In Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 6, but in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs, the old style, as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one. Slightly different word, but still uh, applicable. Since the new covenant is established on better promises. The old covenant was necessary. It was delivered by God. It was useful. It did its job. But the old covenant could not make us pure. I can see a sign that says speed limit 70. I cannot find a sign that tells me to like it. It'll make me behave, but it won't make me better. Do you understand what I mean by that? We won't transform my life. Here we have a different covenant. And it's about he is the one who will bridge the gap. In chapter Hebrews, I just love Hebrews. Hebrews 9, 15. Um, scripture says, For this reason Christ is a mediator of a new covenant that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. There's something missing in the verse. Did you see what was missing? Was There's nothing in there about us doing it right, believing it right, having clean hands. In fact, we don't even say, look at my clean hands, do we? We say like the psalmist, give me clean hands. Because we know we can't get them where we're from. Give me clean hands. And then in chapter 12 and verse 24, the blood of Abel called out for justice. But the blood of Job called out for reconciliation 
and understanding. This is something we often miss in Job. He got very, if, you, if I say Job and you say patience, you've not read the book. You read the first couple chapters and you, and you skipped. Because he, if God had a dog, Job would have cursed the dog. He went after everything. He was, in fact, his wife even just told him, curse God and die, which is not exactly a hallmark card. Job was in a bad place. He didn't just call for reconciliation. He called for understanding. Would heaven look at me and see what this is like? In my prayers often, my opening line will be, God, this is hard. It is hard down here. And there are times I'll even tell him, would you just talk to Jesus on my behalf and let him tell, remind you of how hard it is down here. We are bags of bone and fluid and we have no control over what's happening. It's hard. Amen. What are you going to do for us? How do we do this? And he calls back that he will take care of that. I'm going to, because we have a little bit more time needed to get everybody in position, I'm going to move over and ask you guys to come on up. And I have moved your microphone and the, and the height here and such. I have just been, I've been a toddler let loose in a house, frankly. So if you could sort that out. Let me put this down as I start closing. Because we have a couple of wonderful songs to close. And by the way, if you're out of Middle Tennessee in the Mid-South, you don't know this, but the Pagets are legends around here. They had a music store for the longest time. They have brought music in so many different places. We're so thrilled that they're here. And, and, and thankful to Misha that she, uh, she creates these things. We are a people that are engaged in bringing Christ to others. We're part of the bridge now. We're bridge people. So we don't tell you, once you get yourself sorted, once you get yourself all in line, then you just show up and behave like we do. No. We say, don't behave like we do. Just live out the cross. That's all we can say. That's all we do say. Because the cross has this and this. If you're listening on podcast, it's this and this. <laughs> There's a vertical component and there's horizontal. Live the cross. Stay connected to heaven. And be a bridge for those around you. Bring them home. May God bless the message of, the, of his word.